0: Oh, my, oh, my. What's going on with the world today? You may be thinking, oh, no, the world's fine. What are you talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. But I do want to ask you a question. And the question is, what's going on with inside of you? What's going on within the part of you involved with the natural world of things? How much time do you spend in nature? Oh, night job as Jeff Lawton would maybe say. For this episode, I will be bringing you along with me on a reflective summary about an all-time favorite book of mine, Nature and the Human Soul. (laughs) Boom! Buenos dias. Hello. Hello. Welcome to eco village library. I'm Christopher Kinney. I am your host and I am here to summarize for you great works that will help you become more resilient. This includes summarizing books, articles, you name it into bits of education and reflection and so on. So a little bit about myself. My background is within the field of civil engineering. And sustainable development of which a lot of my time has spent been spent with small farming communities in the Americas and No matter where I am. I always like to read and study as it relates to sustainable living and with what I'm doing as a profession and a lot of times though I realized that you know, I would soak in some really great information and later forget about it pretty quickly Then I stumbled upon a re- revelation once I looked into the matter of learning by teaching is an extremely effective strategy to retain up to 90% of what you learn according to a handful of studies that i've been looking into and so on so then it dawned on me why don't i teach what i've been learning so with that being said i don't have all the answers but i do strive to you know the road to mastery demands a lifetime of learning and experience and for me at this point in my life um I think I'm in what the author of nature and the human soul would say the apprentice at the wellspring I couldn't think of any better book to start off with than the one that perhaps most impacted my life When I was graduating college in Los Angeles about six years ago Um, You know, I picked up this book on just a casual trip over the bookstore and it was I was at a point in my life where I've spent the majority, you know, my most vital energy following the curriculum of so-called formalized institutions and following their agenda. But my soul has already been craving for complementary knowledge to stretch my mind and soul. And then, you know, synchronicity has it that there was the title and the colors of the book glared at me and penetrated my soul. So I walked over to it like a hyper focused zombie. As soon as I opened the book, my inner transformation was well underway. There was no turning back from there. Several months forward, I finished the book reading every page from front to back. So what did I do? I bought a one way ticket to Latin America and to live with small farming communities. I only had about 300 bucks in my pocket and I could tell you this. I certainly got what I asked for. I was inspired by what the author referred to as rites of passage in order to grow into true mature adulthood as he described it. So haphazardly, I seeked out what I could. So in the book, the author gets the ball rolling by laying out the environmental crises of our times um, are mainly due to a widespread failure of personal development. And that mature adulthood as defined by modern society or what he calls egocentric society is not exactly true authentic adulthood that aligns with the nature of our soul. Modern society stresses that being a mature adult is to have worked hard and have practical responsibilities, which is certainly not bad in any way. But the author presents a model of human development that paints it in a completely different way, calling it the eco soul-centric human development model or simply put the wheel of life which is essentially a nature-based model of human development hence its reference to being eco-centric it draws a lot of inspiration and influence from indigenous cultures and groups of people who have lived very closely with nature the model as he describes is a description of the organic indigenous process by which a human child grows into a soul-initiated adult and into, toward the end of his life, a genuine elder. It could be looked at as a field guide for growing a genuine elder starting from birth. And to give you an idea of the background of the author, he's what they call a depth psychologist who pays very close attention to the subtle, unconscious and transpersonal aspects of the pers- of the human experience. This was the realm of psychology of Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud. So the author nowadays leads vision quests and has founded Animas Valley Institute in Colorado. Reading his short bio from the website, it says, Bill Plockton, PhD, is a depth psychologist, wilderness guide, and agent of cultural evolution. As founder of Western Colorado's Animas Valley Institute in 1981, he has guided thousands of women and men through nature-based initiatory passages including a contemporary western adaptation of the pan cultural vision quest. Previously, he has been a research psychologist studying non-ordinary states of consciousness, professor of psychology, psychotherapist, met. So this guy's got quite the experience on him. So in the book he said he spent over 25 years coming up with the design of the ecocentric development model and I believe him. The amount of depth and detail this guy lays out is ridiculous. I can talk about it for three hours and still not cover it all, I swear. It's quite the comprehensive read and I could say it's a good tool to have and I'll show you why. The book shows that instead of looking at one's life as a linear timeline from birth to death, we can see our lives rather as a circular journey that mimics the repeating rhythms of nature like the day, the moon, and the seasons. So one of the central questions is what's true adulthood then? Rather than just looking at adulthood as merely having responsibilities in society, the ecocentric model looks at true adulthood as equal to one's quote unquote own mystical affiliation with nature being a transpersonal experience, perhaps as a sacred calling that is then embodied into soul infused work and mature responsibilities in society. A classic example I immediately think of is with the story of Moses and his sacred calling with God at the burning bush. After his immersion with nature, he later goes on to free the slaves from Egypt Jesus also spent 40 days fasting in the desert completely immersed in nature as he experienced his greatest calling. So I really soaked this all in when I was reading it all for the first time. I resonated deeply with every bit of it. It made completely sense and with very little money I had at the time, I decided to buy a one-way ticket to Argentina. And why Argentina, I honestly have no idea that's just what I did and maybe I can attribute to a nudge I felt in my gut I don't know I just felt drawn to that part of the world and I thought I have to go no matter the cost I felt I had yet to undergo my own rite of passage into true adulthood and come back from what Bill Plockton refers to as the underworld and I really took the liking also of Joseph Campbell's description of the hero's journey too of which in every journey there is departure initiation and return I figured that by perhaps throwing myself in a foreign country with no money would ought to do it what ended up happening was quite miserable actually well not at least until several months in so once I arrived I Stayed at several family farms on a work exchange basis This was how I traveled to Brazil years before without hardly spending anything. I Sought out and stayed with communities who were practicing organic agriculture Permaculture and all that good stuff I was able to spend a great deal of time communing with nature also I soaked up the mysterious and wonders of the natural world and experimented with fasting trying to create my own vision quest in a way but then my eyes were becoming larger than my pockets or more accurately the soles of my shoes because that's where I was holding all my cash at the time (laughs) Um, because I was very paranoid about being um, ransacked by malandros or in other words thieves of the streets especially those who target look after gringos um, because they think they have a lot of money. So knowing this I Took put everything I could in my shoes Which was only several bills <laughs> was it much anyway? <laughs> but I arrived and you know, i Pretended like I had a plan. I was on a mission to not make myself stand out and Eventually, you know, I got adapted, you know, my nerves kind of calm, but anyway, um, I um, envisioned embarking a journey back home to Colorado without taking a plane back. However, I only got to Brazil where I spent my last dollar. And since farm work was typically only by a work exchange basis, I found myself obligated to stay within the city I ended up in to look for paid work. I was back in the throes of modern society. The city was Florianopolis, which was on a beautiful location on the coast I had to walk, though, to over 30 places once I arrived um, in the course of about two days to look for work until I finally found something under the table at a creperie joint. I got to cook crepes and get paid. This was the good news. The bad news was I was earning Brazilian minimum wage, which was only a dollar an hour for a 48 hour work week. So there was no way to pay for any place to stay. Meanwhile, you know, I visited every hostel I could in the area, but nobody was interested in a work exchange basis. Um, You know, they would get very excited. Oh, Americano, bem-vindo. You know, well, you know, we're here to, how can we help? And then I was like, hey, you know, I got no money. Um, Could I stay here on a work exchange basis? And then their expressions would just, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. But that's the reality of it so very quickly i got to see a very unique and different perspective of life that i've never had before so there was not much else i could do i had to find the most isolated street corners at night and curl myself into a small little ball enough to fit under the rain poncho i had since it was always raining then it was goddamn miserable but very eye-opening at the same time i got a glimpse of life I would have never have come across before. I eventually made some unconventional friends who accompanied me on this journey. These friends of mine were homeless stray dogs. We were both starving and without a home, so we got off on a good foot. (laughs) But eventually we parted ways once I realized I could be sleeping on the beach. This is the perfect situation to continue my deep communion with nature, I thought. So this ended up being way much better because um, you know, on the streets there was a lot of these malandros, or you know, drug dealers of the night. Uh, people getting into uh, trouble and up to no good. Um, you know, occasionally there'll be gunshots. And I'm I'm not kidding. Brazil is a whole other. When you're on the streets in Brazil, man, it, you just gotta be careful. <laughs> so I figured on the beach is a little bit safer, at least in Florianopolis. This is not doesn't apply it everywhere in Brazil, but. I was able to find a partial shelter under a big bush or a tree. And when it didn't rain, though, man, those nights sleeping under the stars were the best nights of my life, I swear. At the same time, though, you know, during all of this was happening, I identify myself as being in what the book describes stage four of the Wheel of Life, or what he calls late adolescence. So Bill Plockton coins this stage as the cocoon, where cocoon refers to the tomb for the adolescent and the womb for the adult. The rite of passage to proceed to the next stage is called soul initiation. I think the nudge that I felt to make this ridiculous decision came from an intuitive knowing from my soul that it was time to leave my old self behind. Interestingly, he puts it in this way. once task in the stage of adolescence is to build up the self and the best way you can to then let it all go as you progress into adulthood since i never gone through you know formal rite of passage i couldn't help but ask myself when does one emerge from the cocoon the author says during the cocoon stage through one or several encounters with soul the wanderer discovers something of the image or gift that is his to bring to the world or of the larger story that he's meant to live or of his ultimate place of belonging in the world. He understands this place ecocentrically. It's his place in the more than human world as opposed to a culturally defined vocation or social role. Coming to know this place is as joyous as any accomplishment in his life. Then one day it dawns on him, that he cannot devote the rest of his life solely to exploring the underworld mysteries. He cannot remain forever on the periphery of society as a student of soul. He realizes with some shock and grief that the time is coming when he must gather what he has learned and has become in the cocoon, however inadequate this might feel, and fully return to his community. He must now contribute something of consequence to his people. His student wandering days are over. So I think this is a good time now to digest the beef of the sandwich and review the details of this wheel of life. So there are a total of eight stages of life as outlined in the model. And I thought it quite interesting that the central characterization of each stage is centered around its developmental task. This developmental task is what needs to be realized in order to progress with maturity through the wheel. And within this task, there is the nature task and the culture task. And this certainly doesn't mean that no stage is inferior to the other, as he paradoxically puts it this way. In order to move to the next stage, you have to love the stage you're in and focus most of your energy onto stages um, or onto that stage's developmental task. And also, he makes it clear that the wheel itself is not a spiritual path, but is in fact designed to be compatible with most. And you'll know which stage you're in by identifying your psychospiritual center of gravity, which he gets into. So just coming out from my whole life being at school, I first looked at these stages kind of like a curriculum of courses and the transitions between them or rites of passage being like the final exams. But just by showing up for the exam doesn't guarantee that you'll pass because healthy development depends on progress with the tasks of each stage more so than the rite of passage itself as the author states Even the most powerful rites cannot make up for gaps and failures in psychospiritual development and every passage according to the author feels something like a change in state of matter from solid to liquid or liquid to gas You can't work on the tasks of any future stage, but you could always go back and develop the stages or develop the tasks tasks of earlier stages. So without further ado, I'll go ahead and get into the contents of the model. Looking at the pages here, each diagram shows a complete circle in varying perspectives of the same model. The model shows cardinal signs of north, south, east, and west, of which the wheel begins on the east, just like sunrise. You begin at birth, then move clockwise towards childhood, then through puberty, adolescence, soul initiation now on the opposite side at the west, adulthood crowning on the north, elderhood, and finally death back on the east side. This picture of the wheel shows the four seasons of soul-centric life, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and elderhood, separated by the five transitions. Another diagram of the model depicts the characteristic qualities of the carnal directions of the wheel. The qualities for the east side are new light, birth, spring, beginnings, awakenings, enlightenment, spirit, humor, wisdom, extroversion, and ascent. Mind you, this is where The beginning and the end of the soul-centric life occurs the qualities for the south side are flowering growth summer emotions vulnerability playfulness spontaneity delight wonder and healing the qualities for the west side are uncommon darkness endings autumn mystery shadow subconscious dreams and visions soul self-discovery introspection introversion, transition, and descent. And finally, the qualities for the north side are cold, dark, stillness, winter, hardship, knowledge, skill, fortitude, leadership, nurturing, teaching, and service. Now, here comes the grand enchilada. This is basically what 90% of the book is about, about 400 pages of content if you're reading or 23 hours if you're listening. The diagram I'm looking at now provides overview of the eight stages of eco-soul-centric human development. I'll breeze through the gist of each one, but the book, trust me, goes into incredible depth for every stage. So starting at stage one, the first stage is early childhood, which begins in the East Quadrant at birth, also known as the Innocent and in the Nest. And I thought it quite brilliant of the author to name each stage with a natural and cultural archetype, thereby emphasizing the importance to grow in equal balance with nature and culture instead of just one or the other. The uh, psycho-spiritual center of gravity for early childhood is spirit. The task, what he describes as ego formation and the care of innocence. And this stage is gift Or in other words, contribution to community is luminous presence. Stage two is middle childhood or the explorer in the garden. The task for this stage is to discover the natural world and learning cultural ways. The gift or contribution of this stage is wonder. And its psycho-spiritual center of gravity is family and nature. Stage three is early adolescence or the thespian in the oasis this stage's task is to create a secure and authentic social self this stage's contribution to community is fire and its psycho-spiritual center of gravity is peer groups sex and society stage four is late adolescence or the wonder in the cocoon the task for this stage is to leave home or in other words the adolescent identity and explore the mysteries of life This stage's gift is mystery and darkness. And its psycho-spiritual center of gravity is the underworld. Stage five is early adulthood or the apprentice at the wellspring. This stage's task is to learn delivery systems for embodying soul and culture. The gift of this stage is visionary action and inspiration. Center of gravity is cultural depths. Stage six is late adulthood or the artisan in the wild orchard. This stage's task is to manifest innovative delivery systems for soul work. The gift of this stage is seeds of cultural renaissance and its center of gravity lies within giveaway as art form. Now stage seven is early elderhood or the master in the grove of elders. This stage's task is the caring for the soul of the more-than-human community. The gift of this stage is wholeness. And its center of gravity lies within the web of life. And finally, stage eight is late elderhood, or the sage in the mountain cave. Its task is rather a non-task, which is tending the universe. The gift of this stage is grace. And its center of gravity is spirit or the cosmos so you can see that the human life cycle is best understood as a story the wheel tells a story in eight acts of becoming fully human and it serves as a map for this and this is how healthy human development could easily unfold with the help of a soul-centric life-sustaining society which is quite different unfortunately from the prevailing one we're living in today you know so in order to properly mature the nature task of each stage needs to be addressed and worked on however modern society has suppressed the nature tasks of most stages hence we currently find ourselves in this incredibly interesting situation today of converging crises with ecological collapse as potentially being the most serious since it's essentially our umbilical of survival to this planet. On top of that, we have decaying economies, ethnic and class conflict, and undone warfare, and blah, blah, so on. So, what's going on with us? Interestingly, the author states that modern society as a whole has gotten stuck. Modern society has gotten stuck in the stages of adolescence and that a deeper understanding of adolescence is where our hope lies. What I really like about this book is that it emphasizes how our personal growth is strongly rooted in nature and the lack thereof can be attributed to being the underlying cause of all these epidemic failures we're seeing right now, that true adulthood or psychological maturity has become an uncommon achievement, leaving genuine elderhood nearly non-existent. Because as soon as enough people progress beyond adolescence, this funky consumer-driven economy and egocentric lifestyle will essentially implode on itself. And a true cultural renaissance will come from the uniquely creative work of authentic adults who could be artists, visionaries, leaders where they live and work quietly in small areas such as families, farms and classrooms or very publicly on grand stages. He says, "Adolescence is the lotus of crisis and opportunity that we must invent and reinvent forms and methods of soul initiation." Interestingly, The word adolescence was not even used to refer to human development until 1900. So this book is one of those books where I feel that no matter how good of a summary I could give the author just says it 10 times better. So let me read you what he says about the transition from adolescence to adulthood. Genuine adulthood is not obtained merely by reaching a certain age, birthing or raising children, or accepting certain responsibilities. The adolescent must undergo an initiation process that requires letting go of the familiar and comfortable. She must submit to a journey of descent into the mysteries of nature and the human soul. She must plunge to the depths, in a sense, to hell. And not at all in the way mainstream society has come to understand and to fear, the descent that adolescents must undergo is what most scares people about teenagers, including teenagers themselves. But this is also what grieves many older people because somewhere inside, they know this is where they needed to go as teens but didn't. And the question still hovers in the air in front of them as to whether it is too late. Through psycho-spiritual adventure, the adolescent comes to know what she was born to do what gifts she possesses to bring to the world, what sacred quality lives in her heart, and how she might arrive at her own unique way of loving and belonging. Whoa. Now, this is just a taste of the journey ahead when you start reading this whole thing or listening. <laughs> I Trust me. This is great stuff. Um, it will really open your eyes um, to everything about Your life, the life that you live, that's what's ahead, um, what's currently going on right now. So in comparison to the ecocentric wheel of life of healthy human development, Bill also lays out the non-healthy wheel of life that a lot of people are stuck in today. He calls it the egocentric stages of development. And the diagram starts in the east just like the other model. But the name of stage one here is called obedience training and entitlement training. You can already get an idea where this is going, you know, from stage one to stage two is called parent liberation and stage two is called primary socioeconomic training. The end of this phase is known as riot, where one either conforms or rebels, hence the name conforming or conforming and rebelling. And now you'll see that the remaining stages instead of being 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 is rather 1, 2, 3, A, 3, B, 3, C, 3, D, 3, E, 3, F, and why? Because again, once stuck within the throes of the society who never realizes his soul is stuck in the stages of adolescence. So 3A transitions to 3B through what is called Exodus. 3B is then referred to as secession. Transition into the next phase is called soul suppression. And now we're in stage 3C called capitulation, meaning basically to give in or surrender. Transition from this stage stage is called promotion. And now we're in stage 3D called management. Going from management, we pass through retirement. And now we're in 3E called pasture and playtime. The transition from this stage to the next is called withdrawal where the final stage is called failure followed by death. So this is quite the depressive contrast to the soul filled ecocentric wheel and maybe some of this stung like it did for me the first time I read it. So now we have these two models to to directly compare. And, um, we see our current state of society as being, you know, class stratified competition based violence-prone, unsustainable, and anthropogenic, basically meaning that humankind is regarded as the central most important part of existence. In ecocentric society, however, we see something else that's imaginative, cooperation-based, just, compassionate, and sustainable. So what now? It's very hard for both to exist since the enlivened soul and wild nature are deadly to industrial growth economies and vice versa. So where's the opportunity then to bring about an ecocentric society? Well we do know that now we're seeing collapse on all stages nowadays. The old system is coming down and it's coming down fast. An interesting book I recommend is called The Five Stages of Collapse by Dmitry Orlov where he gets very specific on each stage of collapse of any modern society and what they look like being financial commercial political social and cultural and the author himself has gone through the collapse of the soviet union because he's originally from russia so he has that you know his personal experience as well it's quite fascinating i highly recommend it and now that we're in a globalized society We've all kind of jumped into the same boat, which makes this time a real novelty. And for a very long time now, the powers that be, or however you like to see it, has actively suppressed and buried any ecocentric culture there was. Now that these power power structures are starting to crumble, we are at the cusp of realizing the greatest positive change in recorded history. And there's some people who will tell you, You know, it's the elite's plan to collapse the system and consolidate their control over humanity. Who knows? But what I do know is that those without a vision perish. As it says in the book of Proverbs without dreams and visions, people perish. You've got to keep dreaming. From the children of Sanchez, it says take the crumbs from starving soldiers, they won't die. Take the bread from hungry children, they won't cry. But without dreams, we all will die. Don't lose your dreams. Breathe. And do what resonates with your soul. We have every second available right now to seize our dreams. Right now, in the next moment, every moment is a new moment. So... I could tell by reading this book, the author was very influenced by um, many other great works and and influences like Joanna Macy and Thomas Berry, uh, referring to them as modern examples of genuine elders. Joanna Macy right now is uh, 89 years old, uh, an author and teacher. Uh, She coins these times that we're talking about as the uh, great Turning then transition from an egocentric industrial growth society to a soul-centric life-sustaining society. Thomas Berry, cultural historian, refers to this vital endeavor as the great work of our time. And there is good news because it has already begun. We could always spend as much time as we like fixating on what's bad and ugly and scary, but I think looking at the good, that's possible is more exciting and productive. Well, you already see, for example, technological breakthroughs in clean, safe, local, renewable energy like wind, solar, small, hydroelectric, and biofuels. And with myself working within engineering and within various types of situations, working hand-in-hand with, hand hand with these systems, it's very, um, there's something about it viscerally that feels really good when you work with these Small systems and that it provides you with your energy and then you're all of a sudden the manage the manager of your own energy systems. It's very Thrilling. It's very rewarding and um, on a visceral level We also have innovations in energy conservation methods like passive solar design for a building Um, You know simply facing a building Towards the sun and building it with materials that can absorb the sun's heat can save big time on energy um, you know i've been hanging out a lot with uh, cob cottage, you know in oregon and You know during the winter they don't have any um, you know artificial heating systems You know everything's placed to gather as much sun as they can and whatever heat you need during the winter You do that through you know a rocket mass heating stove system that utilizes The the natural material of cob or whatever it is to store that heat and to slowly release it over time it's very very uh, effective and it feels very very um uh feels right <laughs> that's what i'm trying to say we already see primary and secondary education curricula rooted in eco literacy basically studying our relationship with nature from a young age um, we have local human scale economies um, and food systems. This quickly brings me to remember my time studying eco-village design at finhorn Eco-Village in Scotland, and it was so cool to use their uh, own currency, the eco, um, that they uh, created and have been using for a while now, which had a uh, you know one-on-one exchange rate with the British pound. Still does, I believe and you know so i remember taking it and going to the pub you know outside of the eco village and using it there you know people were starting to use outside of the outside of the village so you you could see the 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 sustainable economy you know holding in the the town you know the nearby neighborhoods and and everything it was pretty cool and um so one last example of things swinging in the right direction is also the creation and widespread adoption of the earth charter An International Declaration of Interdependence of All Species and Habitats. What's curious is that we hardly hear about any of this, which reminds me of the song title from the 70s, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. That being said, there are currently thousands upon thousands of groups, organizations and communities around the world creating the infrastructure of an eco soul centric society. So the grand question is, will the 21st century turn out to be the great ending or the great turning? Provided that most of society is still in its adolescence phase. I see see this as a summoning for souls to plunge into the underworld and fight the good fight at once and to save the day as heroes, as Joseph Campbell will say. And so I'll choose to end this with uh, a poem by Drew Dellinger, also chosen by the author to start his book um, that we just summarized, Nature and the Human Soul. So here it goes. It's 3.23 in the morning and I'm awake because my great-great-grandchildren will let me sleep. My great-great-grandchildren ask me in dreams, what did you do while the planet was plundered? What did you do when the earth was unraveling surely you did something when the season started failing what did you do once you knew so that's all i got folks i really hope you guys enjoyed this um you know so uh, to finish this section or the summary i'll leave you with a question um For you to answer, please, in the comment section and um, to also share this with your friends, family, whoever you think might um, benefit from this. So without further ado, the question is, in what stage of the wheel of life are you in today? And how do you know? So please comment and share and let me know what you think. Thank you. God bless. Much love. Until next time.